Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 24 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. Today we have with us Simone Cohn, who is a health and well-being coach, and we met her through Graham Phillips of Prolongevity, and she is actually one of Graham's coaches. This episode is one of two, so we focus the first episode on Simone's story and her health journey. And then the second episode is focused more about how her health journey influenced her health and well-being coaching, really. So, Louise, do you want to tell us a bit more about Simone? Simone qualified as a reflexologist at the British School of Complementary Therapy in Harley Street, London, in December 2000. To further her knowledge and passion in health and well-being, that same year she embarked on a health science degree specialising in therapeutic bodyworks at the University of Westminster. From her degree, she gained experience in a variety of bodyweight practices that combated conditions conditions such as migraines, muscle tension and stress-related illnesses. Whilst completing her degree, Simone also built up a successful private practice offering treatments and techniques in a variety of bodyweight therapies such as reflexology. In 2013, Simone was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, a chronic pain disorder. To understand more about the illness, she trained with renowned USA fibromyalgia coach Tammy Stacklehouse. Once qualified, Simone incorporated her knowledge of pain management and nutrition into her roster of bodywork therapies to re-establish herself as a health and well-being coach. With her wealth of knowledge and personal experiences, Simone was fortunate enough to be part of the NHS Healthier You, the National Diabetes Prevention Program, where she worked with individuals and groups for nine months to provide education and nutrition sessions to pre-diabetic patients. Simone found the program a wonderful, eye-opening experience, which further ignited her passion and interest into the psychology around health and sugar addiction. As a body worker now, with almost 20 years of experience in the health industry, Simone's extensive training and practical knowledge coupled with her own health journey has given her the unique ability to recognise each client's individual needs and goals, making Simone a highly successful, empathic and intuitive health and wellbeing practitioner. She strongly believes that her role as a health and wellbeing coach is to educate, encourage and support a patient's journey to living a healthier, vibrant life. So let's roll the tape, Jackie.
Welcome, Simone, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Very excited. <laughs> we love to start with, where in the world are you? I am in the UK. I'm in a lovely city of St. Albans, which is in Hertfordshire, just outside London. With a beautiful cathedral. Beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah, I like St. Albans. So our second question to our guests is, so tell us about your low-carb journey. All right. So my low-carb journey started back um, in around 2015. Um, so I've been on it for a good few years now. It's been a, an up-and-down journey, as I think it would be for many people. But um, it was an absolutely life-changing moment for me. Um, so it started um, because I felt I needed to make changes to my health. So I didn't feel that I was getting enough support and encouragement or even particularly a good diagnosis from my doctors. So I thought I would take matters into my own hand. And I I sort of always knew that nutrition always paid a, played a very key role in people's lives. I've been in the health industry myself for 20 years, um, working on people as a body worker. But I th- think I had to have a shift in my own mind about certain addictions. So I've was a, I'm a real chocoholic, uh, really, really real sweet tooth. Um, and I just wasn't really ready at any time before this uh, change to give that up. So my, my journey into low carb actually started in South Africa because I was in Cape Town in March 2015. And my, um, my, uh, ex-brother-in-law looked absolutely fabulous, like the best he'd ever looked. And I was like, I want some of that. <laughs> so he, he had mentioned about banting, which is the term that they use in South Africa for low carb. And I sort of parked it in my head, uh, cause we were going off to Disney and I thought there's no way I'm going to be doing any changes whilst I'm in Disney. I'm just going to enjoy myself. Um, and when we came back from that, I had, you know, gone back into researching what banting was and discovered the real meal revolution, mm. which was a big, big thing. And I think it probably still is, but it was, it was the absolutely life changing moment for me. And they had a program that started on the 4th of June, 2015. And you signed up and I think it was probably for about eight weeks, maybe, maybe more. I can't remember exactly. Um, and I was just devoted to doing it I absolutely loved um everybody that was involved in it from uh well I mean obviously there was Tim Noakes and he's like a little bit of my bit of a hero to me um so so I just did it and it changed my health it just changed my health and I just thought god this is uh, everybody's got to learn about this <laughs> just you have to, everybody has to know how good that they can feel I mean you you just I think you go through life thinking it's normal to feel exhausted all the time and to wake up feeling achy or headachy or whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with. And I just, it just, it gave me so much clarity to understand that it isn't normal to feel unwell all the time or tired or whatever our symptoms are. Um, so yeah, so it completely changed my career, um, and changed my, my whole outlook on life, really. So what was it that you needed to change? Like you said about the benefits of energy and clarity and, you know, that sort of well-being. But what 
motivated? What was the initial motivation for it? Was it just looking good, like your brother-in-law? No, not at all. Um, I've, it's never been about that. It's never been about weight loss either. Um, I leading up to that, I'd had a lot of health issues. I had had quite severe postnatal depression. I think actually, if I if I go back, if I really go back, I would say that a lot of my problems occurred when I was a kid. I actually remember falling very, very badly on my coccyx as a child and never telling anybody about it. And I remember the pain being literally taking my breath away. I think I probably broke it. And from then, I actually ended up being diagnosed at 16 years old with scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. Mm. So I'd always had aches and pains and joint problems and things like that. Um, I then decided so 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 then I just I, I always knew I was going to work in health from about 11 years old so I always knew at some point I was just going to be helping people in a health career but I didn't know how and my family um, who live abroad are very very holistic and very alternative and slight hippies which I loved um, and I thought you know what that's kind of the life I'd like so um, when I used to touch people and I used to just work on their shoulders, they always said to me, oh my God, you've got the touch. You've got the most amazing touch. I'd be like 12 years old and people go, oh my God, don't stop. You've got the most amazing touch. And I was like, maybe I should tap into that. And so I ignored it as most children and teenagers do for many, many years. And then when it came to the, cr- came to the crunch of having to choose what career I was going into, I actually decided I'd go into food technology. So I originally started out I'm very proud to say for only 10 weeks at university doing food technology and absolutely hating it. Um, and I came back from there say, saying that to my parents that I'd quite like to go and study massage therapy and do something kind of a bit more holistic, um, which they weren't very happy about. So I got, got packed up and sent to go and be a secretary, to train as a secretary, which I did um, very badly for many years. Um, and decided from there, once I was earning my own money, what I'm going to do is I'm going to train in reflexology. So I did a part-time course in Harley Street and trained in reflexology, and I absolutely loved it. I just thought I've got to know more about the body. It's fascinating how things are connected, and I absolutely need to know on a much deeper level what's going on in the body. So through that course, I discovered that there was a degree um, at the University of Westminster. So I I had a look at the at the course it was a, it was called um it was a bsc health science degree and it majored in therapeutic body works that was what it was called and i read what was on offer and i was like wow this is this is what i want to do and i think that because it's a degree level that my parents might be a little bit more open to it so i presented it to them and said would they be happy for me to go back to uni i was 21 at this point i was mature um which you're considered a mature student at 21 and that's really where my true career and my true calling and my heart started. My, my, my career started because it was a very, very detailed course. We did loads of different modules on health and well-being. And we worked in a clinical practice open to the public. So we were working on people very, very um, early on in, in, our, in our journey. Um, it was just fabulous. I loved it. I had the most incredible teachers and lecturers. I was very, very lucky. Um, it's amazing that you found something that you loved so young. I feel really lucky. 
Um, cause there were a lot of people on that degree, if I think about it, that were in there at the time, you know, they were in their forties, which is scary to say, cause that's where I'm at now. Um, go, changing their career. They were, they were really having a career change and there were very few young mature students that had made this, uh, decision. Although things like acupuncture and nutritional therapy, which were slightly more known, I guess, um, were more available, seemed more available and more open to, to the younger crowd. Whereas this really was, um, a huge career change for many people. So it was, mm. I was so lucky that I found this degree and I loved all the practical stuff and it just enabled me to, to work, to work on the body, which I had intuition to do anyway. I knew what I was doing when I was working on the body, it just because it was a natural thing. But to have the understanding of the science behind the body, the, um, the structure, the muscles, all of it, um, and all the other input that we had. So there was a lot of stuff about environmental factors, ergonomics, emotion, touch around, you know, when you touch the body, you can't just yank it and crank it and expect nothing to happen. I mean, emotional stuff can happen. Um, so it, it was just very fascinating. And I, my career sort of went alongside learning. So I actually started to work in a practice privately on the weekends and build up my, my clientele and it with with the reflexology which I'd already been qualified in um and it sort of naturally turned to women it was just a natural progression I did work on men and men men would most likely judged that um because I was more of a deep tissue massage therapist didn't think that I'd be able to to do the job because I'm, I'm five foot three um and I probably don't look particularly strong, but because of the techniques that I learned, I, I really built up a, a name for myself as being a deep tissue massage therapist. And um, so I kind of went with that. But actually, my focus really was about women. Um, I Somehow, lots of women were coming to me for fertility and they were struggling to fall pregnant. So that's kind of where a lot of my energies flowed. Um, and then my my life changed. I became a wife. And then I very quickly became a mother. But in that period, I had a miscarriage. Um, and I think the trauma, emotional trauma from that was probably slightly uh, more than I kind of gave it credit for at the time, because I think I fell pregnant so quickly afterwards that, um, that it kind of just, it was, I just had to move on. But after my first child, I did develop postnatal depression very severely. And the cycle of, of, of uh, postnatal depression is pretty much go on antidepressants very, very quickly. They don't really want to mess around, which actually I believe is not the answer. Uh, and mm. my journey has taken me through the process of really dealing with the, the stuff that gets kicked up um, throughout all of that process. And, you know, I, I genuinely, it's made me very tough, but it's, it, it just is such a huge time. Becoming a mum is just, I think there's a lot of pressure on mums to think that this is the best thing that's ever happened. And I, I'm not lying. I genuinely believed that they were lying. I just thought they can't possibly think this is the best thing that's ever happened. It's like, mm. this has ruined my life. And I, I felt so awful that I thought that because I had this beautiful, healthy baby that some people can't have. Um, and I just knew suddenly, okay, that's not, that isn't right to feel that way. Um, so I was quickly, quickly put on anti antidepressants, um, which you make you feel horrific and numb. I carried on with my practice. My practice was the only thing that I felt gave me energy. 
um, just helping people just allowed me to kind of take myself out of my head, I suppose, which is not the way you deal with it, by the way. Um, can I can I interrupt you and ask what what sort of birth did you have? Was it natural or I had a very mm. long natural birth with that one. Yep, it was. He was a vontus delivery. It was very traumatic. I was left for hours and hours and hours whilst they dealt with other emergencies. Um, I remember very clearly getting pain in my back that it felt like I was, there was a nerve, like he was kicking on something on my back. Um, I couldn't move. Um, they eventually decided that they would take me up for a C-section. And I just remember begging to them and to my husband to not give me a C-section. Um, so he was a, he was a Vontus delivery. On top of which he ended up in ICU in, in in the special cares unit because he developed jaundice very, very quickly. So the whole thing was very traumatic. No. I also realised that I had not really dealt with the miscarriage because I had spent nine months feeling so fearful that I was going to lose a baby and not connect with them or how I didn't want to connect with him because I didn't want to feel lo- feel a loss if, you know, if something happened. So there's there was a whole host of emotional crap it's the only way I can put it um, mm. that came alongside becoming a mum which really should be the most wonderful experience of your of that time and for some women it isn't and I think it's really important that women don't feel ashamed to say that it's a rubbish time because <laughs> it, it is uh for some so so yeah so that was so that's kind of where I think a lot of the mental health journey happened for me and I think a lot of it maybe started manifesting physically as well I then went on to have my second boy less than two years after that and that was a very different experience it was more positive and I continued to be on a different type of antidepressant because the ones and they so there's loads of things that happen to a woman's body through pregnancy through childbirth through role changes it's not just you know I I literally went from being a daughter to a wife and then a wife to a mother and I think I'm not really sure what my role was and I suppose in a way my career as a body worker allowed me to express myself as me as as my Mm. true self um so after I had my second boy which as I said was a very different experience I noticed that I was getting quite a lot of fatigue and and I, I call it fatigue because it's a very different feeling to being tired I think again when you're a mum with two young kids it's exhausting it is very very tiring but it, the fatigue is very very different and again when you go to the doctor they do put it a lot of emphasis down on hormonal changes on being being a mum of two young children you know running a household it's a lot it is a lot but this felt different and it didn't quite feel um, normal, and they t- mm. they test your bloods and everything else, and everything comes back normal, and that's basically the story that occurred for many, 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 many years until I got to a point, probably around 2012. I actually developed um, I I had a I had a gallbladder issues, and I went to a general surgeon who basically said we need to remove it. It's it's just keyhole surgery. Those were his words. It's just keyhole surgery. It's very quick recovery. He actually didn't ask me what my job was. He didn't know that my job is very physical. And he said, you'll be back at work in two weeks. So I said, okay. 
so I said, should I have it before we go to Cape Town? Or like, because I'm about to get on a 12 hour flight. And in my mind, I was thinking my gallbladder is going to explode under the pressure. Um, anyway, he did. He did it before I went to Cape Town in the, in, in a, in whatever time of year it was. Um, and that was back in 2012. After that, I probably don't think I recovered physically from the damage of this just keyhole surgery. Um, I was absolutely battered, black and blue, just keloid scar scars. <clears throat> After years, I still had scars um, and it absolutely took its toll. So yes, I no longer had uh, gallbladder pain, but I wasn't given any guidance thereafter on how to manage myself and my health. And then what happened was I just became inflamed. I just, I just had so much pain all the time that I would literally not be able to deal with the children by the end of the evening. I'd be flat on the sofa and my poor, um, now ex-husband, my, at the time he would be coming home from work and I'd be flat. I'd be like, I can't, I can't move. I feel like I've got the flu. So I was constantly feeling fluey and achy and it was affecting my work and my, my, my hands were in absolute agony, constant headaches, constant migraines. And I just thought, this is not normal. And that was for years. Mm. That was from 2012 to 2014. They just plied me with antidepressants. They said that I was depressed and that I'm doing too much and you just need to, um, you know, look after yourself and slow down and things like that. No, no guidance on counseling necessarily no guidance on nutrition nothing like that hmm. you weren't what do you think was yeah what what do you think was the connection between the the gallbladder surgery that just the keyhole surgery and this pain response did you ever work out what the connection was between you said about inflammation post-surgical inflammation response i don't know if there is a direct connection. I, I just try to put all the pieces together of potential traumas that have happened in my body, both physical and emotional. And I think that the, I think I was expecting to, I think the surgeon was expecting too much of me in terms of recovery, but I also think generally, you know, it doesn't matter if it's keyhole or not. You've had a, an organ removed from your body is going to be traumatic and it will take time to heal. And I don't, I didn't account for that time. And so, you know, I think I probably went back to stuff too quickly um, in terms of being physical. Um, the connection in terms of inflammation, I don't know if there is a connection in terms of the trauma or having the removal of the gallbladder and the trauma of the operation. I think what happened is that the senses in my brain just went haywire and that just exacerbated everything. And then, so, so from that, that constant pain and constant exhaustion and fatigue, um, was just a really difficult cycle to get out of. And I'm, I am the sort of person that kind of, I need to know what's wrong with me in order for me to be able to work for, with something. I need to have a diagnosis. And I couldn't get a diagnosis from the GP because my blood kept coming back normal all the time, whether it was my iron, whether it was my, you know, my vitamin D was, was on the floor. But they don't tell you what to do. Just hmm. well, you can't say get more sunlight in the UK. Um, you, you can take a supplement, but they would tell you to take a supplement that is so low it doesn't even touch the surface. So I, I was really at a loss because you li you're hit hitting your head against the brick wall sometimes because 
they work in perimeters that are normal and that that actually might not be normal for some people yeah um so it, and then they're not willing to they're not not i don't i won't say willing they don't seem able to look further afield and say well this lady is complaining that she doesn't feel right but it doesn't fit in with what we think is wrong with her or what we can put something down to so therefore it's fatigue and tiredness and you know it's all your fault it's not your fault but it's all down to you and they don't seem willing or able to to dig further and well they're not trained as functional medicine doctors i guess i was going to say they don't look at things holistically and it's and when when things aren't tangible when you can't see it um this problem then then they don't they don't know how to deal with it and you know they they and that's not that's not their fault i i think i feel fortunate that i'm in in the headspace that i'm in and that i'm holistic in my approach and i i won't accept that you know a pill is going to fix things it did take an eventual um an appointment with my gp where they probably hate this sort of google research medical diagnosis <laughs> but you know i have done a lot of research and i do know a lot about the body and i do know a lot about my own body so i think i i felt well within my right to say maybe this isn't normal for me i think i've got this please refer me to a rheumatologist and he didn't have a choice because i pretty much with my with my husband at the time pinned in down and said this is what you're going to do and that was the that was the turning point because i did eventually get a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and I think the common thread with most people who've got some sort of invisible disease like fibro is it just takes years and years and years to get a diagnosis and it's 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 really really sad because uh, I feel hmm. I've been robbed of so many years where I couldn't do I couldn't deal with my children yeah so I was gonna say like how frustrated you must have been with the system you know that you as you said you were banging your head against the wall and you feel robbed you know because what between what 2012 from the gallbladder and then the 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 eventual diagnosis what in 2014 that's so much developmental time in terms of your, your parenting so it does sound that you are you know justifiably you know frustrated disappointed upset with with the healthcare system for essentially you know lost lost quality of life yeah i think i think that you know like we've just said they're not functional medicine they're not they're not holistic in their approach and i and i do feel um that there is a role for gps and emergency services and hospitals of course there is but i think people I think what I learned from my experiences was you can't just throw a pill at everything. You have to take some um, accountability for your health and you need to sit back. I don't know how forthcoming people are in wanting to take care of their health. I have been slightly disappointed with people's approach to wanting to take control of their health. I think it's becoming more and more um, obvious that people are needing to make changes themselves. I truly 100% come from a prevention is better than cure. Um, and I saw that in myself, but I saw that I was the one that had to take control. And I think it's, I think, I think it's sad that that has to be the case. But I think it's important that people know that you can't just go to, I think for acute things, the GPs are brilliant. But for when it, when it comes to chronic issues, um, then, mm. then you need, you need to think outside the box. You need to think about what it is that 
I can do for myself. And then unfortunately for some, it may involve having to pay for services such as a homeopath or a physiotherapy or a massage therapist or a reflexologist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, whatever. But it's multifaceted. You can't just go in and say, I've got a headache. You need to help me. There's a reason. There's a reason why your body is giving you symptoms. You have to work with them. Hmm. But it's also really what what we would call about the health literacy. You're exceptionally health literate. You know, the fact that you have that intuitive, you know, approach, you've got that through your touch and, you know, through your body work. You've got to and be your a parents. Well, yeah. So they have, have that sort of frame. And not only that, but you've also got your, your, your BSc, you know, qualification. That gives you a little bit of a leg up, you know, and the fact that you were able to put some of those dots together, connect it, and as you said, demand from the room, you know, from the GP that I know that I need to have this referral in order to, to find the missing link, you know, and that was the thing that is, you know, you're more the, the 1% rather than the 99% that, not unfortunately, but, you know, does have access to a wonderful NHS that in the main provides for that. But the fact that you, as you said, you had to empower yourself, you had to get yourself knowledgeable, you had to advocate and eventually demand, you know, to, to be able to get the referral. So you've done well to, to break through, yeah, the knowledge barriers. Yeah, and thank you. I, I, I'm aware that I have been fortunate enough fortunate enough to have always been aware of my body and I it's become clearer to me that um, that isn't the case for a lot of people it's it's relatively shocking to me and you know if I fast forward to now having worked in the NHS as a health and well-being coach it's and being exposed to so many people um, of all walks of life it's it, it was fascinating to me that actually a lot of people don't listen to their bodies. They really do listen to the the doctors and what they're being told, or the media, or other people, rather than listening to their them, themselves. And it's fascinating for me the psychology around health because it's it's very limiting. People are are really um, not don't trust themselves. I think they've lost trust in themselves, and it's 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 sad. Yeah, and I think it's it's partly that they've lost trust, but partly it wasn't there to start with because we've been in a period of time where we haven't been in touch with ourselves because we're so surrounded environmentally by other things that take us out of our body. And to do the work is, is hard work. You know, when my kids had a temperature, most parents would be getting out the... What is it? Cowpole. Yeah, <laughs> Cowpole yeah. and feeding their kids. And my kids have probably had maybe six teaspoons of cowpole in their life each because when they had a fever, I was sitting there with a flannel and keeping their head cool because I knew the body's raging with the temperature is fine. So long as their head stays cool, that's okay. And so I was there with my homeopathic remedies and sitting with them and all the time testing their temperature and cooling them down even if it meant doing that several times a night I would do it but that's hard work and you don't sleep but so most people will give the cow pole and say oh you're all right now off you go yeah I think I think that's the kind of realization that I had when I decided okay I want to become a coach I want to, I want people to know that they can heal themselves but I think 
I think the hard work puts people off. And, and I think mm. that's why I've kind of, you know, I'm not shy in admitting that it's difficult. I found it difficult being a coach mm. on a one-to-one level, different when you're different on the NHS because they were being sent to me by the doctor. They had a duty to come to me. They didn't choose to. Mm. I think that, I think it has to be a choice that people make that they want to, you know, open doors and deal with it because mm. it isn't just, your your body is giving you signals, but unfortunately it isn't just the physical signals. Okay, so I have a headache. How do I deal with the headache? It's there's a reason. Something's just caused you stress, or you've eaten something, or maybe it's a bit of both, or you know, it, it's so holistic what the body's telling you. But in a way, the NHS has has made us lazy because we wait until we're sick, we're sick, and then we go to the doctor and they give us a pill and they'll fix us. But actually, nobody's really going beyond that as to, okay, well, I, every time I eat something, for example, I feel really, really bloated or I'm really gassy. Well, most people probably just think that's normal behavior, but it, it's not normal. That's your body telling you you've got to make a change. That's not what your body wants to do. It's not what your family want you to do. Um, but it's, so it's, it's having the awareness and, and, you know, I don't know how we get that across to the wider audience because you know especially in a, like now in a crisis where it's all about prevention really it should have been about prevention 30 odd years ago and, and now I think people are starting to realize that you know they have to work on their health but they don't know how because they're waiting for the government to tell them and I can tell you they're never going to tell you uh, because as controversial as this is uh, there is no money in good health yeah because uh, otherwise I'd be pretty wealthy but there isn't any money in it yeah and I guess you know part of us doing this podcast is about being able to reach a wider audience to for people to know that they can do things that they they do have a choice they can take responsibility for themselves and hopefully you know just talking to you we're inspiring them to maybe think ah I can do something for myself so but just on that note, sorry, just on that note, it doesn't have to be done all in one day. I mean, it literally has taken me years and I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I'm still learning and understanding my mind and my body. It's taken years and years and years. And that's with somebody who's got experience and an interest in learning in the body. Um, so it doesn't have to happen overnight. It's really, and I learned again, I learned this a lot on the NHS. I know people go on about it all the time about setting goals, but it is so important in your health to set goals um, and to plan because that's when we, otherwise we do, we will fail or we'll just not bother. We'll, we'll be, you know, octopus on roller skates, just holding all these things that we need to do and just never doing any of it because it's too much. Yeah. So I just wanted to backtrack um, a little bit. Um, so in terms of your story, you've got to the rheumatologist. Can you tell us how, having a label or having that diagnosis that you had been wanting of fibromyalgia, how did that then change your um, your health journey? So so I was referred to the to the rheumatologist and it was a it was a really bizarre moment in my life because it, it really felt like white coat syndrome. Like I went to the appointment and I felt absolutely fine. I had no pain I was feeling fine. I just, I was like, oh my God, I'm a fraud because already I've been told it's all my, you know, it's in my head because you can't find it. 
there's no results, so it's all in my head. So I'd already thought, thought, oh God, I'm wasting this poor man's time. You know, he, he basically tested me and he was very lightly pushing on various points in my body. And he was saying, does this hurt? And I'm thinking, no, I mean, I work, I use this when I work on people. I'm like digging myself into them. That's going to hurt. And he was just lightly going, does that hurt? Does that hurt? And I go, no. And he was assessing, assess my walking. He obviously took into account that I have scoliosis. So that's going to cause an imbalance in my body. I'd had major issues with my jaw as well. That's something I forgot to mention. So I have worn away about 70% of my jaw um, on that, on this, on the right side. So I'd had major headaches and an open bite for many, many years. So again, this comes to contributing factors of looking at the body holistically, because of course, if you've got jaw problems, you're going to get headaches and tension headaches. It's going to cause problems in your neck. I mean, it's literally, you cannot just say, it's just my head. It's a problem, right? It's, it, it's just my spine. It's a problem. It's really, really holistic. Um, so back, back into the room with the, with the, um, rheumatologist, he took bloods. He's, said um, what he would like to do is that is possibly there's a, a pain management program that I could join depending on what my diagnosis is. Um, it's an NHS program at the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stamore. Shout out to them because they are phenomenal. And we'll send off your blood results and you'll come back and have a, a follow-up. Okay, fine. Walked out of the appointment thinking I'm a fraud because I didn't say I was in pain when he touched me. and Within 10 minutes of being on the drive on the way home, I went into the biggest flare up I think I have ever had that I literally came home and took myself off to bed. And I emailed the secretary the next day and I said to her, I don't know if this is relevant, but I really would like you to pass this message on to the consultant. But this is what happened. My whole body went into a flare up. And I literally, for me, a flare up was basically like flu. Like I, I just couldn't move a single part of my body my head felt heavy I just wanted to sleep and close my eyes um and I never heard back from her I think maybe she probably said she'll pass it on but when I went back for the cons for the follow-up cons consultation he basically said my vitamin d was virtually zero I had nothing and um, he put me on a massively high dose of about um I can't quite remember but it was massive like 80,000 units you know the you 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 for a month so a week that amount for a month um just boost it back up which really really helped i have to say it helped wow. absolutely massively and he basically said look you're a prime candidate you've got fibromyalgia i'd like you to see a pain psychiatrist and i said no nope, i don't need to see a psychiatrist there's nothing wrong with my head i'm absolutely fine there's no you know nobody wants to admit they need to go and see a psychiatrist so I said no to that. Um, he said, well, you need to think about it. So I said, I'll think about it. And he put me back in, this was privately, and he put me back in the NHS, um, on the NHS system so that I could go and be put on the <coughs> waiting list for the Royal National Orthopaedic Pain Management Programme. In the meantime, I did go to see the pain psychiatrist. And I have to tell you, it was probably another massive um, tick or another massive piece to the puzzle in fixing me, um, because it allowed me to understand what was going on in my brain. Because I was very much about, I don't want to talk about the past. Past is the past. I can't change it. Nothing's going to change. I don't want to talk about my mother, you know, because we've got to always blame the mother. Um, 
So I'm not going to go down that route. And he was very, very good about it. And I said to him, I'm not going on antidepressants. I'm sick of being antidepressants. They don't work, blah, blah, blah. So I'd already kind of made my choice. And he slowly, slowly unraveled me and, and said, you don't have to go on antidepressants. These aren't for depression. These are actually to help bring the pain senses down in your brain. And it will help kind of balance things out. Because right now, if you look at your pain as a, as a thermometer, it is bursting through the top. Because hmm. any slightest touch for me was just unbearable. Um, it was, it was just, and it's wrong. That's not how it should feel. So, so slowly, slowly, I started to kind of take more action in terms of, of my brain health and, uh, reducing the pain senses and understanding what was going on in my brain. So that was really fascinating for me. And it did help. And it wasn't the same sort of antidepressants that they put you on as a doctor. They were antidepressants, but they were very specifically to help people with chronic pain. So there was a whole host of, of those sorts of things that I realized, you know, they do help. And, you know, it comes down to looking at things holistically. I did fight not wanting to go to a psych- psychiatrist because I was scared of what would ki- get kicked up. Yeah. But I did, I dealt with it and, and it helped. And then I got onto the pain management program, uh, May, 2014 I think it was and it was brilliant absolutely brilliant it wasn't and it wasn't just people with fibromyalgia it's people that had had operations and still felt pain after an operation so they might have had a hip replacement or a back operation and there would be no physical uh, signs of damage but there is still physical pain yeah a bit like a phantom limb I was gonna say that yeah um, so it was an apps and it was very holistic, very, very holistic. I was so impressed that the NHS had developed this pain management program. Um, and they still run, they still run it. It's very, very, very good. So that really helped me. And I was further along than most, partly because of my own background in health, but partly because I had seen the pain psychiatrist. Um, they offered psychology as a, um, not compulsory. And I actually think. At that point, they may have changed it, but I, I think it should have been compulsory because I think dealing with the psychology of trauma and pain and anything else that might crop up is absolutely vital in healing. Hmm. Um, so that was so that was kind of that was that. And then I, I gave up my career. Sadly, it was a really difficult decision as a body worker in my in my career as a body worker, and uh, decided to focus completely on my health. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the sort of mum that kept saying no because I was too feeling too unwell. Yeah. I've got to take matters into my own hand. And I think the final piece to the puzzle for me at that point after the pain management program was the whole low carb thing. I actually think, although I had done a lot of work leading up to that, that it was the nutrition that was my absolute turning point. So what was your eating like before you found banting it wasn't bad i mean it wasn't bad but i i was a chocoholic i absolutely loved and and you know not shy in saying that i was probably a secret eater so i would go in and eat eat the biscuits and i would eat the chocolate and make sure nobody was seeing that i was doing that i love crisps but i ate very much i'll tell you who i followed um so i so i think the weight probably crept up it definitely did for my my husband at the time um, I think it was not as noticeable as we thought until we looked at pictures. Um, for me, it's never been about weight, but actually I, I, I 
will share a before and after photo with with you with your with, with you guys so that you can see how dramatic it is even though it was never about weight for me we did slimming world for a bit but it's horrible we actually <laughs> followed um patrick holford uh, what did he do the gi so we followed the gi so we were eating lots of fruit and lots of vegetables and whole grains and all those things from what i remember and it kind of worked for us we enjoyed it because we were fo- we're foodies um and we enjoy cooking i love cooking um, but the turning point, so before that, that was really what I, was, I, I would po- probably say I was eating and eat well, the eat well plate. plates, actually, because the GI diet is the eat well plate because you're still eating tons of carbohydrates just because they're low GI. It doesn't make them better for you. And I, I've done juicing. That's hell on earth. I would never recommend that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've done, I've done I've, I love experimenting. I love yeah. experimenting with my body and I've done it even more so since banting, since low carb, because I'm fascinated at how foods react to, to my body. I'm just, it's just fascinating. And so I did the whole low carb thing and I mean, it didn't take long for my pain and my headaches to disappear. It didn't take long for my skin to clear up and my inflammation to go down. Um, my head felt clear and my eyes looked brighter. I was picking up the kids from school. People were going, what? I want, I want what she's having kind of thing. Like they wanted to know, they wanted a piece of what I was having. And I was like, everybody should know what it feels like to feel amazing, radiant, fabulous, to feel amazing, to feel fabulous, to feel radiant, to not wake up feeling hungover. And because of the, the massive lessons I learned about my body, I thought I'd done, I thought I'd done quite a lot of learning, but I really hadn't until I changed the way I ate. I really learned what food does to your body in terms of symptoms and reactions like feeling bloated like waking up tired in the morning i know that if i've had too many carbohydrates the day before or if i've had too many processed carbohydrates then i will wake up as if i've had 20 glasses of wine i mean i feel absolutely dreadful Mm. Um, headaches just lethargic tired eyes dry eyes i mean it's just it's amazing um, and I and I really really encourage people to to listen to their body. In fact, the first thing that I do when people work with me is I get them to not I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in them writing a food diary, but a symptom diary. What are you coming to me for? What are your symptoms? Yeah. But really yeah. listen to your body. Right. That twitch in your eye, that pang in the in the side of your stomach. You know. Really listen. Uh, do you belch more after you've eaten certain foods? You know, is your stomach gurgling? Have you got headaches after a certain food? Like, really, really listen. Because it's only then can we, can we then get an idea of what foods might be doing to the body. Yeah. Um, I, w- I, I was thinking a lot about, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of experts will tell you that once, there's not a one size fits all. It's not a one size fits all. And actually they're right. It's not a one size fits all. But what I truly and utterly believe from my core is that low carb suits everybody. And I believe it because it's the processed foods that are causing us problems. Yeah. And actually people just took out the refined carbohydrates and sugars and processed rubbish and ate they- real food. They would feel a lot better. Absolutely. 
So how people do that, the balance and, and the, res- the restriction, and I don't mean the restriction in a negative way, just the mm. change, um, and how far they do that is completely up to them. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, cause you've done, you've done a blog with Graham, haven't you? Or a, a podcast mm. with Graham? Yeah. So he loves his fiber flower. And when he told me about fiber flower, it was like, no, I was like, oh my God, my life has changed. So I bought like 50 tons of fiber <laughs> flour so I could experiment with making bread and cakes and rolls and all these fabulous things because I will not, I won't deprive myself of these lovely things that I know I can still have. Um, and I love cooking and I made myself some bread rolls. I thought, you know what? I'm actually, I'm interested to see how this works with my blood glucose. And I often tested my blood glucose with certain foods anyway, particularly in the NHS so that I could show people that somebody who has normal blood glucose can still react pretty badly to carbohydrates. So I had made my bread rolls and I tested my bloods on waking and it was quite, it was about 5.7. I've actually got a photo of it all. So it's a little bit too high for me anyway, but that's, besides the point um i had my bread roll toasted with butter but unfortunately i can't start my day without coffee and cream so i had it alongside a coffee and cream and i took my bloods an hour after and two hours after and i messaged graham i was like this doesn't make sense to me how has my blood's gone up they've gone up to like seven point something i couldn't believe it because he's i said to him have you not tested your bloods with this and he went yeah my bloods don't move and it was like, that was quite a key moment for me to realize that, yes, it's not a one, one size fits all. That actually fiber flour, which he doesn't affect his bloods whatsoever, affects my bloods. So, so what's going on? So now I need to research myself a little bit deeper how much I can have in totally. terms of flour in my diet. Actually, should I even be having it? Um, was it the coffee? So I need to actually check. Maybe it's coffee. That's caused my blood glucose to go up. I just don't know. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I love it. I just love learning from it. <laughs> so you, uh, you got your diagnosis in 2014 and then you went and saw your ex brother in law in 2015. What happened in that time from the diagnosis to changing your diet? What were you doing and, and how was it helping? I, it wasn't. So I was probably still, I was probably doing the whole Patrick Holford low GI thing. I possibly was doing the slimming world thing and the juicing thing. I was probably trying stuff, but I, I genuinely believe in my, on my, that I knew it was sugar. I knew, I knew I had to cut down on sugar. I just wasn't ready in mentally mm. and emotionally. I just, it's such, it has such a hold on you that, um, I wasn't ready. And it was only at that point when I went to South Africa and heard about Banting did I see the result. And it and it is daunting. And I wasn't ready at that point in March. But I knew that I had to make the change and I had to kind of mentally prepare for that. Um, and that took from that March up until June and to do that research leading up to find out about the Real Meal Revolution. Um, and it is, it is a revolution. Mm. Yeah. It's just... My, it's just, it's so powerful. And I, and you will know because you've done it and you interview people all the time that it's, it's changed their lives. And 
when I worked on the NHS, it, I was offering a variety of options to people for nutritional changes. So I was working on the um, National Diabetic Prevention Program. So people were coming to me one-to-one, but then educationally in groups to understand what nutritional and lifestyle changes they could make to avoid getting type 2 diabetes. So these people were pre-diabetic. And I was so honoured to be able to work in the prevention side on the NHS. I thought this is amazing to see that the NHS are going to make changes to people's health and, and in a quite a holistic way. Um, and I, I worked for a private company and we have a commission to work on the NHS. And um, we won lots and lots of um, different parts of the UK. And as a company, we were trained by Expert Health, who is Dr. Trudy Deakin, who's also a massive advocate for low carbon Mediterranean dietary approach. And I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe that I can stand up in front of people and talk to them about their options. And of course, I had to give them both, oddly, the the low fat, high carb dietary approach, which is the approach that um, is given on the Eat Well guide already. I was given, so we were allowed to do that approach, the Mediterranean dietary approach, the low carb approach, and intermittent fasting. I mean, how forward thinking is that for the NHS? Yeah. So I was, so because they had been given the education and understanding at the beginning of the program, beginning of the course on what glucose does to the body, and it was very sciencey, but I hope that I was animated and uh, passionate enough that people understood it. I learned as I went along, but it was a real eye-opening moment for a lot of people that were under my care. And they, a lot of people did make changes. And I, because of the education they got in the beginning to understand about lo- what carbohydrates did to the body on a molecular level, um, when I talked about the low fat, they, and I'd say to them, do you think that's the best approach for people who are pre-diabetic? And I used to talk about pre-diabetes as being an intolerance to carbohydrates. It actually allowed people to understand that if you went to the doctor and you were told you were intolerant to gluten, people never question that. They take it out immediately. Gluten is going to kill me. It's causing me all these problems. I will remove it. But the minute you tell them they've got carbohydrate intolerance and they need to possibly reduce the bread, sugars, biscuits, sweets and chocolate, it's like... The walls have gone up. It's like, oh my God, you've literally just ruined my life. Yeah. Like, no, I'm helping you in your life, you know? But when it was a gluten intolerant for people, it was very easy. Yeah. It's just because it's so, they don't feel it particularly. They don't think they feel it. And until they don't know what they don't know, they don't know what it feels like to feel amazing. So, so we offered the, the this kind of holistic approach. It was about all different. It wasn't just about nutrition. It was lifestyle. Um, it was absolutely fascinating, but it changed. Unfortunately, the company changed direction, which didn't sit well with me. Um, and then that I decided to leave and then try and develop my practice privately. But it's it's fascinating. Behavior change is fascinating. After I had discovered Banting on that June two thousand and fifteen, I had. Previous to that, I decided to give up my career as a body worker, focus on my health and my passion for wanting to help people make nutritional changes came from that, um, from that experience that I had from choosing 
planting low carb as a way of life. I think having a diagnosis of fibromyalgia, you tend to get told that um, you're going to have it for, for the rest of your life and you're going to be in pain forever and all these kind of very negative kind of assumptions. And people have asked me if I still have fibromyalgia and my response to that is always um, I micromanage my life. So although I've not had a flare up for many, 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 many years, um, the reason for that is because I, I micromanage my life from my mindset to my physical health through exercise and through uh, nutrition. So because I've always known that my path is that I want to help people in their health journey, originally as a body worker, I now, after learning about low carb, decided that I would focus my attention on my practice to um, encourage nutritional and lifestyle changes. Um, I didn't go back and do a qualification in, in, in a registered association in nutrition or anything like that because I believe that the information probably hasn't changed as much as, as I would like to think in terms of the advice that is given. And I thought I don't really want to get myself involved in that. I don't want to waste my time really. Yeah. Um, but because I'm a, I'm addicted to learning and doing courses, I did do a, um, it's, it was, I think it was called a natural therapy, um, nutrition course online, which was, which was very interesting. And they did believe that sugar was, was a big cause for many problems, which I was pleased to see. Um, so I did that, but I have, I have done years of reading around the subject and followed all of the experts since 2015. And now I don't class myself as a scientist or a, an expert in the area. I have lived it through experience. I have helped a lot of people, maybe people that, that don't tell me, but I can see it or they wouldn't necessarily credit me for it, but that's fine. I know that with my own kind of social media and my own journey that people have looked and thought, this is amazing. Like there's a real change in this person. Yeah. And if that's all that I'm here to do, just encourage people just through my own experiences, then I'm, I'm very happy. But, but I, I am truly passionate about wanting to support people, um, in lifestyle changes for their health. And this is not about a weight journey because weight, um, is not my thing. And it's, um, it's secondary to what I believe people should feel. I think, the weights thing will happen naturally with the journey with me. So what does a, an, your current um, way of eating look like generally on a day-to-day basis? So my current eating, so it's um, it goes between strict keto and low carb. And that's basically how I would put it. So I am a very animal food based yeah i i did do carnivore um for one month as an experiment um that was last april um leading up to that i had completely and utterly fallen off the wagon 
I was in a very, very unhappy relationship and the emotions were just too high for me to handle. And I just basically didn't care Mm. about my health. I was just going day to day trying to figure out how the hell I was going to manage. Um, and so my eating went completely off and I looked horrific. I looked tired. I felt tired. I went back into inflammation. My headaches were bad. My migraines were continuous. My moods were horrific. I just thought, I'm not, I am just not doing this anymore. And in April, which was, is a month before my birthday. So I was, had planned to, um, become the fittest and healthiest I had leading up to my 40th birthday. And that failed because I was unhappy. Yeah. And in the last month, I just thought I've got to get a grip. So I thought carnival would get me on track. And I didn't know about carnival. I happened to be reading an article in a men's health magazine and it talked about various ways of eating. And one of them was carnival. And I thought, well, gosh, I mean, I'm halfway there. If I was doing banting and, and low carbon keto, this sounds really exciting. It was, it was, and it, there isn't that much prep that you need to have with carnivore. You just kind of just eat meat and drink lots of water and a bit of salt and loads of butter and Bob's your uncle, you're on your way. So I, I just did it. And when I set my mind to doing something, I just do it. But my God, did I find it hard mentally. <laughs> I just, I was like, oh my God. It was like there's 30 days. I was like, yes, 29 days to go. I was like, yeah, 27 days. I literally, I've never counted down for anything, but I was counting down. And I don't want to put people off it because I had so many positive experiences from it um, that I, I, I highly recommend it. And I would even recommend it in practice. So was it really just the, were you bored with meat? You know, did you not have any sort of, um, you know, variety? Was it... You know, you said you got the benefits, but what was it that sort of made you white knuckle it through the 30 days? I think I learned a lot about how much of my eating was just habitual and probably not hunger and emotional. It just created a lot of realizations that just made it drag on and the odd thing was I was put off. Like I just often didn't want to eat because I just was so sick of eating meat. But actually the minute I, if I was eating anything other than steak in terms of meat, meat foods. So if I tried mince, I'd be eating the minced meat going, Oh God, when's this going to end? Oh, it was just awful. But then I'd cook a steak and I'd eat this and I'd cut into the steak and I'd put the steak in my mouth and I'd be like, it was like almost the first time I'd eaten a steak. It was like every time I ate a steak, it was like the first time I tried it and it was delicious. So I just thought, stop eating all the other meat alternatives. Just stick with eating the steaks and the butter. Um, and I did, I did eat eggs. I actually learned a lot about myself with other foods. So I learned that, for example, chicken eggs didn't affected me terribly, caused me bloated. They repeated on me, but duck eggs I was able to eat. So now I stick more to the duck eggs. I learned that if I try a bit of cheese, um, I feel absolutely exhausted. I just, it makes me so tired when I ate cheese. So I stopped eating the cheese and I just went back to eating my, into eating the meat. So I learned a lot. I, it just felt difficult and it was purely mental because I had no cravings for chocolate for the first time ever. 
in my life. I had tons of energy. My skin looked amazing. I woke up with a spring in my step. I literally would jump out of bed. I, I would think I was sleeping less as well. So I was probably averaging six to seven hours rather than the eight hours that I really feel I've needed. It was amazing. But it, for me, it wasn't sustainable. For me, it was an experiment. And I, I learned a lot about my body. Um, and I would put it into practice with people. I think if people have stalled in their journey, whatever their journey is, um, it's a very, very good elimination diet. It's a very good way of understanding what foods can affect you and what foods don't and how. So, do, but, do, but are you, but are yeah. you saying that I, it's a good way of eating for a short period of time, but for you and your, your, your time, it was more you were mentally uncomfortable because of all these things that it was evoking. The meat was fine, but it was just this other triggering of the emotions connected to what was happening in your mental headspace. I think a bit of both, actually, because I think the idea, there is a lot of mental stuff that goes behind eating, not just in terms of the food that we tell ourselves that we can and can't have. So the story, so the story that we tell ourselves around food became clearer to me during that time. So I learned, as I said, that maybe I wasn't thirst, uh, wasn't hungry. I was actually just more thirsty. So my body triggers um, became clearer to me, and that's that's quite a big shift to have mentally. I think that I, even though I know what I know in terms of the science behind food, um, I, I I felt quite scared at the amount of meat that I was eating because we've been told by the media that eating that much meat is bad for us and you know, it's cancer causing. And, you know, I was sitting in fear, even though I know what I know. Um, because it just seems very extreme mm. to me. Um, and that's why I think it should be a short term thing for some people. There are people in the, in the, in the wellness industry, in the health industry that have been carnivores for 10, 15 years and they are loving it. They love it. It, it I don't see that I could live like that. But from it, I've learned a lot about myself, my mental health. And that I think I could just stick with being strict keto. Yeah. I totally relate to that as being carnivore. Well, supposed to be being carnivore at the moment and having exact those same struggles. And I, I've had to put a little bit of veggies back in. Not, it's not that I wanted cream cakes or normal chocolate or biscuits or anything like that. All I wanted was some olives and some vegetables with my dinner. So what I've done is I just have maybe, now that I've allowed myself to have the olives, I have had maybe half a dozen in four days and tiny amount of vegetable with my meat, just enough that it's different, something different. I think that is brilliant because I think what you've done is allow yourself those things because if you hadn't, you would literally be sitting there going, you know, I can't do this. And I was all miserable. Doing is thinking about food, and then it actually defeats the purpose of the journey because it becomes unenjoyable. And actually, what we're trying to do is encourage people to enjoy their life and actually yeah. have freedom, because it's about having the freedom um, from our emotions and not eating for the wrong reasons. It's about having freedom of of, of not uh, restricting ourselves in our health, like. I, I really, really wish people would understand 
that if they would make small changes to their nutrition can change a whole multitude of, of issues that, that they generally have. And I think that people shouldn't wait until they feel unwell. They shouldn't wait until they feel unwell to make changes. Great. Simon, that seems like a really great place because I know we're now going to talk about your work journey and how you've progressed and how you're helping others achieve this fabulous feeling that you're having. I think this would be a good place to finish this episode and then we can continue next week with the next episode. So thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for having me. And we certainly look forward to having you back next week. Brilliant, me too. So Jackie, what an amazing story. I suppose it's, you know, her journey has taken so many twists and turns. But I think the thing that I drew out of Simone's story was about her one. You know, she has almost memorialised the 4th of June 2015 as this, this most seminal day that has, you know, she's been reborn. And it was thanks, as she said, to her um, her ex-brother-in-law, uh, the one that introduced her to, to Banting, so the South African brother-in-law. And obviously, Professor Tim Noakes has so many, um, you know, followers and um, people that have benefited from certainly the Real Meal Revolution because that was one of the same book, the same book that my mum had also recommended to me. And... My mum was was my one. You know, did you have a one person that inspired your change? Mine was a book, and um, so that was the well, it was the Gretchen Rubin book, which I uh, think back to, which was the beginning because she spoke about her journey and how she'd read Good Cal. Uh, no, it wasn't Good Calories, Low Bad Calories. It was. Um, why we get fat and she said she'd read the book and she'd made the change and that's what led me to pick up the book the next month and and I just started straight away I did not look into it at all I didn't investigate she did a lot Simon did a lot of investigating and finding out about it I just went all in without finding out anything more so but Going back to that, I think sometimes because she said that she'd met, she'd seen her brother-in-law a few months before in the March and she it took her the few months before she was ready to start. And when I think back, I had read another book the year before, which is um, Tim Ferriss's For Our Body. And he was focusing on low carb and cutting out the bread and the pasta and the rice and I did start that for a few weeks and then met a doctor and told him what I was doing and he gave me a face that said what are you doing that's terrible and of course any excuse not to not eat potatoes and bread was good enough for me so I went back to the potatoes and the bread and but then you know the following year it just made more sense that book made much more sense and and help me keep me on track. And then when you made those changes, you hadn't quite cut everything out. So you were lowering your carbs, but it still took a number of what we think about iterations. So then you were still eating peas and corn, 
and then and chocolate it took, and still took a few a few cycles of refining and yeah it wasn't it wasn't so much cycles and refining it was lack of knowledge because i hadn't investigated any further i just read that one book i'd listened to it actually on audible twice at the beginning and then just did what i was doing i was eating massive amounts of food but the weight was still falling but not not massively and when i look at people now they have massive weight losses i didn't have that it was very slow but it was going in the right direction so it was only after six months that i decided well maybe i should find out a bit more and picked up another book and that's when that's when the refining started to come in and mm, yeah. experimenting and practicing and sure. all those things. Yeah, but I think it, it sort of speaks to Simone's, you know, natural, critical, insightful, scientific, you know, mindset that she's always curious. So the curiosity, particularly for science, and, you know, there are those people that are you know, more in tune with, with science and have a, that scientific inquiry mind that they are willing to read the papers and go on the journal article sites and, you know, go down those those science rabbit holes. And whereas, you know, there are others that perhaps like to listen to podcasts, you know, who are communicators of the science or communicators of the, the lived experience or communicate, you know, in, yeah. and do the interpretation for us. So, um, yeah, we're appreciative of all types of knowledges that are, um, that are out there. And we're all different and we all find our different ways and mm. and how deeply we want to go into it mm. and that that's true for our learning styles and um you know our, our ways of um interpreting things for ourselves yeah so jackie where can we find the show notes for someone's episode so the show notes are at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero two four Hey Jackie, you know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweetness? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media 
Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice, whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not. They're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes especially if you're taking medication.